Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. All good things must come to an end. And so today we conclude our look at faith and faithless times as we have walked with Elijah and Ahab. We reach the point where Elijah departs today. Second Kings chapter two, we pray with you. call him 
or new wisdom. Yet, what they poured into us provided a legacy of faithfulness that still speaks very loudly. And as I think about being faithful in a faithless world, it strikes me that one of the most important things that you and I can do is not only to be faithful in the present, but to leave behind a legacy by which those who follow behind us can build upon our foundations of faith. So how do we build this legacy? Well, first, you and I must plan for and invest in the future. Notice verses 1 through 5. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you present and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. <clears throat> Elijah had seen the toll that Ahab's and Jezebel's religious policies had had on the northern kingdom. He had seen the impact that the 400 false prophets that we looked at a couple of weeks ago had had. And so he sets up these schools. That's what is being done here when they refer to the sons of the prophets. He sets up these schools for those who were prophets and were called as prophets to learn the faith and its practices in the orthodox manner that Elijah lived. He does so, we are told, in schools that we know to be in Bethel and in Jericho and quite possibly based off of the text at Gilgal. Now, what is the significance of these places? Well, Bethel is a traditional place of worship and pilgrimage for the Jewish people. It's where Jacob had had his dream of the ladder to heaven. Literally, Bethel is translated house of God. Gilgal also was a traditional place of worship and pilgrimage, as it was the place of covenant renewal for the children of Israel before they entered into Canaan and, and took Canaan over. Sadly, each of these places had become 
places of synchronistic worship, particularly Bethel, where Jeroboam had set up the golden calf. So it seems to me natural that Elijah would want to have true Orthodox prophets there teaching. What I find interesting, though, is the placement in Jericho. Jericho, recall, is a city that had been destroyed on the conquest of Canaan, and that God had cursed it never to be rebuilt again, but early in Ahab's reign, he had allowed it to be rebuilt, and that the builder had suffered the curse of God by losing his firstborn and his lastborn sons. And now here it is, established, we would think thriving, and they could say, see, we are bigger and we are better than God. God's power has no control over us here. And it would appear that Elijah is unwilling to let that travesty be perpetuated. He wants to counter-program what's going on by having truth-tellers in place, by having a school of the prophets there saying, you know what? They will tell you that, that this is okay, but God never intended for this place to be here. Follow God. Listen to God. Follow in His ways. He was preparing for the future because don't we want the future to be a place that is invested with the truth and not some falsehood that is created on the fly? But notice, he did not just create these schools. He personally invested in them. It appears from the text that he is going from school to school to teach. And had been. It's a question for us this morning, though. Are we leaving behind the truth for the future? By right now, not only planning for, but investing in the future. When Jesus calls us to go and to make disciples, it is inherently a call to plan for and invest in the future. We have somehow or another narrowed the scope down of going and making disciples to simply getting someone to prayer to pray a prayer of salvation. But that is not discipleship. That's just the first step of discipleship. The remaining steps are the ones that need to be taken the time for to be invested in, in which we teach these who have now come to faith what it means to come and follow in faith, what it means to walk in faith. It's why we come alongside of them and we share with them our experiences. And we say, you know what? I was up and God was there. I was down and God was there. And this is how God helped me through it all. We are continuously, as we make disciples, pointing them to Jesus. We do not do it for our glory. But we do it so that God is declared again and again and again and again to be in charge. Secondly, we leave behind a legacy of faith when we live a life of such gargantuan faith 
that those who follow us want what we have experienced with God plus some. Look at verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I have taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they went, still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horses. And he saw him no more. Elisha had been with Elijah since Elijah had heard the still small voice after Carmel. To be sure, Elisha had heard firsthand from Elijah's own mouth about the ravens coming to feed him. He knew what the food tasted like that the ravens had brought. He had heard firsthand what it was like to sojourn with the widow in Zarephath and how the pots had never run empty. He was able to hear from Elijah about the intensity of the fire that fell at Carmel when fire was called down upon the prophets of Baal. And quite possibly, Elijah had told Elisha the exact dimensions of that hand that cloud the size of a man's hand before it rains. He could describe to Elisha what that still small voice sounded like. Elisha had seen for himself the aftermath of Naboth's murder and Ahaziah's heresy and the countless other personal experiences that when the two of them were off together, they did not make it into the pages of Scripture. Elijah had shared about how powerful and personal God had been with him. And hearing all these stories, Elisha had said he wanted all that. He wanted to experience all of that and notice, he says, I want double. I want that plus. Notice two things that Elijah does. First, Elijah keeps exhibiting great faith until the end. It really doesn't make a lot of sense why Elijah strikes the Jordan. 
We'll see later why. But in terms of travel, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But Elijah does that. He, at the very end, is showing a completely different miracle than one that Elijah had ever seen him do before. He is showing great faith until the very end. Secondly, he is essentially instructing Elisha to be faithful to the end. As he says, Elisha, you got to stick with me. you got to watch with me to the very end. Knowing that he who endures to the end shall be saved. And that it is at the end that we find our greatest blessings. And he says to Elijah, therein is the door. Elisha, therein is the door. Seek me to the end and walk through the door. It's a lesson to all of us. That you and I should be faithful to the end. Doing right up to the very end. That we should not spend our final years bitter and entrenched in the past. But always growing, always expecting God to do a new thing so that we can understand afresh every day the blessings and mercies of God, but also that we can be a blessing to others, to those who are following along behind us. Israel Baptist has this month called a new pastor to his pulpit. And my mind in recent days, because of that fact, has gone back to the 26-year-old kid who became pastor of Enfield Baptist Church 16 years ago. And the people that I met there who were at the end of ministry for so many of them, but yet who were faithful to the end. I thought about 99 and a half year old Hilda Herman, who I went to see on Good Friday, 2008, and she said to me in the course of the conversation, Pastor, I hear you got a new girlfriend. I said, yes, although I do. She said, uh, is she in town? Yes, although she's at the house right now. She's come over for Good Friday service. Go get her. So I went and got her. I took Eliza back to Hulda's, and Hulda prayed a prayer of blessing over us and for our future marriage. Marriage had not crossed the mind at that point. <laughs> but hold a blessed marriage. Think of Earl and Hallie Sorry, two of the most joyous people I've ever known, who suffered a lot, had poor health, but never lost their joy. I still hear in my mind the benediction that Earl Sorry offered at, at Enfield 
on the last night of our fall revival. And the next morning he fell dead. He had his joy to the end. I think of Josephine Brazier, who upon looking at her, you would think would be the most unwelcoming, mean lady you ever met. <laughs> who gave me a picture of what it's like, though, to welcome a new person into church as she took Eliza and befriended her and sat with her every Sunday for the rest of our time at Indy. I think of Julius and Dane Wood, who didn't have a lot, but were faithful. Were faithful to the point that when they died a few months later, we received a check in the mail, and they had tithed their estate. Faithful people. I can name similar people at Sandy Branch. I can name similar people at Grove Park, who have caused me to want even more of what they had. You know, one of the things that annoyed me, and I preached the funerals of Huldah, Julius, and Earl in the same year, was that people said, as each one of them died, they don't make them like that anymore. And finally, I had enough, and I stood up at one of their funerals, I think it was Huldah's. And I said, people say they don't make folks like Huldah anymore. And I said, that's a vicious lie. The problem is that we are too lazy to go and do the things we have to do to live the faith that she lived. That we are not committed enough to do that. That we are not uh, leading a life of faith that is so gargantuan, that is ever growing, that someone would follow behind us and say, I want to be like that. Beloved, the question for us this morning is are we leading a life of faith? such that when we come to the end of our days, someone says of us as they stand over our grave, I want to be like them. I want the walk with God that they have. Elisha says that to Elijah. I want the double portion. Finally, Elijah provided Elisha the tools he needed to carry out his future ministry. Look at me at the end of verse number 12. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah 
that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elijah went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him some, upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not sin. But when they had urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Sin. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they saw him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Elijah knew full well what he was doing when he stood the Jordan. He knew full well what he was doing. He knew those jokers were trailing behind. And he said, I'm going to set Elisha up. Yes, Elijah had passed the prophetic mantle, the, the physical manifestation of his prophetic office to Elisha. But through his actions, he had allowed Elisha to perform his first miracle with a crowd present. In the same manner that Elijah had done. Don't miss this point, beloved. They have separated the Jordan. When you think of water separating, who do you think of? Moses, right? So, so Moses has separated the Red Sea. Elijah has walked up and he has taken his pen on. He has split the Jordan. He has walked across. And now Elisha shows back up and he's got the mantle in his hand and he says, all right, God, you were with Elijah, are you with me? And he strikes the water. And what did the jokers on the other side say? The spirit of Elijah is upon him. He has the office now. Beloved, are we making room for those who follow behind us to act in faith. That is what Elijah is doing here with Elisha. You know, it does little good to train someone to follow us in the faith if we don't get out of the way and let them lead. We say, oh, but they might fall down. Oh, they might mess it up. Oh, they, they might not do it like I do it. Didn't they say that about you? Didn't the folks that come before you say that about you? Oh, they might mess it up. I've not met the new pastor. I wish them well. I pray for them. It's not my 
my job to tell them this is how I do it. My job is to let them lead. You and I must do that for the next generation. But we're not gone yet. So we should remember one other thing. What are you and I doing for the legacy that we currently have? Elisha went to work immediately. He didn't lament the fact that uh, Elijah was gone. He didn't even really want those boys to go search for him. He, he basically just let them do it. Then he, when they come back and say, we didn't find him until I told you something. He said, it's time to go to work. And the very first thing he does is he takes that hammer and he throws it down on the water. He went to work. You and I can sit around and lament what we don't have. We can turn, sit around and say, talk about all the disadvantages we currently have. Or we can get to work. I told you earlier, I think of Bill every day. And I do a disservice to Bill if I don't get up and go to work. I, did, uh, I do a disservice to Holden and Julius, Earl, Betsy, so many of them. From if I don't get up and go to work. You see, when we don't get up and go to work, and we just sit around and wring our hands. We have ensured a faithless future. Those who came before us poured into us to ensure that we would not have a faithless future. But when we don't go do it, we are ensuring a faithless future. We all want the future to have everything that they need. And we forget that the most important thing that we can ensure the future has is faith. A while back, Scarlett was in my office and she was playing with something at home and she wanted to run it downstairs to play with it. And I knew that if it went downstairs, I'd probably never see it again. So I told her it had to stay in the office. And she said, I want to play with it. And I said, play with it here now. But why? And I looked at her and I said, Scarlett, one day, Boo's going to die. And when Boo dies, you get all this. She said, all of them. You <laughs> see the dollar signs light up in her eyes. I said, yes, dear, you get it all. You get all my toys. 
You get all my books. You get all my bow ties. You get it all. You get all the china from your great grandmother. You get all the china from my grandmother. You get it all. My job, I think, sometimes is to make sure that when I die, she's got something. But here we go. If I insure that Scout has everything in the world she could possibly want, then I don't ensure that Scout has faith. <laughs> I have faith. Remember the words of Jesus. What shall it profit someone if they gain the whole world and yet lose? They're so. She can have every bow tie that's ever been sold at Bell. But if she don't have Jesus, I think. There's one last thing, beloved, you and I must do. And it's to leave a legacy of faith. So are you doing that today? Are you doing that? It don't matter what else we do. It don't matter if they remember anything else about us. Just so they remember our faith. And they have a faith that makes ours look small. Or do you leave them behind? Why do you leave them behind? Let's pray. First of God, help us to not squander our inheritance of faith to be like the prodigal son and use it in this time for ourselves and not worry about the generation that is to follow. Help us to be faithful to seek an ever-growing faith that when we leave, the growth part we have left behind is a bastion of faith that is growing ever greater. And the impacts that we have made for the kingdom in the lives of so many countless thousands and millions. Is unknown. That you alone are known. Show us, Lord, where we're not doing this. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please join us next Sunday for worship, either in person at 9 or 11 a.m 
at 108 Trail 1, Burlington, North Carolina, or at 11 a.m. on Facebook Live. For more information and resources on our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abounds.